0: Good morning, everybody. I, uh, With so many out, I'm wondering if either Chad ran them off last week or if they knew I was preaching or both. <laughs> it might be both. And, uh, but I, I am very grateful to Elise and the worship team that uh, it's hard to do that. And she came up and I, I'm... I'm I'm really happy she did it because used to whenever Rod would be out, I would always preach and Ryan, they would take family trips and Ryan would be with them and then Richard would lead worship and we always called ourselves the B team because we were the backup, you know. And so it's only fitting that his wife would come up whenever I'm preaching. So it was perfect and uh, they did a great job. Um, and I'll probably use them for a sermon illustration soon. Uh, let's go to Acts 2. And I, I want you to understand that... When Chad talked to me Monday, asked him if I was ready to preach this Sunday, I, uh, I knew immediately where God wanted to take me. And, uh, but anybody who's ever preached knows immediately when you get that word, you're like, well, maybe not. Maybe that was me. So then I go into prayer on Tuesday and everything we talk about in prayer lines right up with it, which it always does. What we talk about in prayer always lines up with what comes out on Sunday. And it's, uh, it's always amazing. So, uh, So we're in Acts 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. In one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't know about you that gets me excited. When I hear that like that's that's a movement we've been waiting for. That is a movement we seek every single time we meet, right? Now there were staying in Jerusalem god-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. I want you to remember that every nation under heaven. That means every people group was represented there in Jerusalem at that moment that were Jews. They had a representative. That's big. I would love to have a gathering where every people group was represented. I mean, we could call it quits because then we've now shared the gospel with everybody. And it uh, says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome who were both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So immediately when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began declaring the wonders of God. And they're doing it in the way they can't do on their own. I like that part. They're doing it in a the way they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't make it happen. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And there's a whole movement out there of the Holy Spirit movement that people saying there's something wrong with those people they're weird, they're not right and every time the Holy Spirit's doing something there's always those who want to judge and I want you to remember these are Jews that are judging them they're not outsiders so let's go to the Lord in prayer Father God I pray today Lord that uh, Lord that you would speak to us God I pray that I would get out of your way, you would speak your message to us, Lord, that however you want to do it, whatever you want to say, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that we'd be ready to receive it, Lord, and each of us would walk out of here, Lord, completely changed by what you want to speak to us, Lord. Father God, I pray for those who are at home, Lord, whether they're sick in body or they're traveling or they just, for whatever reason, that they're at home, Lord, I pray you would reach them in the exact same way as you're going to reach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, so I've been so blessed by Chad preaching about the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks, and I think most of us believe that those have just been god centered messages, and we want that we want to see it right and there's there's so much we're we're moving forward and we're moving forward and i i I think God's ready to do that, and we just have to be ready for that right it uh There's a statistic, Chad, and I talked about a few weeks ago, and uh, I shared it yesterday in a men's group, that 60% of the churches in America do not believe in the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit. 60%. That is a, a troubling number, right? And we believe in the movement of the Holy Spirit, but I want to make sure we truly believe the Holy Spirit wants to move here. There's a difference in believing the Holy Spirit can move and believing He will move. There's a difference. So that's where we want to be. We want to make sure we get to that point to where we're, uh, we're allowing God to move. And, uh, I have a short way to go to get there, but we're going to take a long way to get there because I want to make sure you understand it. You know, most people are like, we got a lot to get through in a little time. No, we got a little bit to get through, but we're going to, we're going to draw it out so you understand because as Mike always says, I'm long-winded and I like to talk. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 3 it says, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received." So all Paul is doing is Paul's not telling what he thinks. He's telling you what he believes, what he received. And sometimes we like to put out there what we think. We like to put our opinions out there. People don't care about your opinions and they don't need your opinions. Right? And trust me, I have a lot of opinions and I know they're just like yours. Nobody cares about them. Whenever you start sharing your opinions, you know who you gather in? Other people with that same opinion. Anybody who doesn't have that opinion is not going to be steered towards you because it's your opinion. You're trying to draw people towards you, right? So we've got to remember that is what Paul says is, I deliver to you as of first importance what I've also received. So he's only delivering what God's given him. If I'm going to share with people, it needs to be what I share from God. And this is the very message God has been speaking to me, and I'm going to share it to you. And when you walk out and you start trying to share with other people, it should only be what God shares with you. Don't even share what I speak today. Because if God's not sharing the same thing with you, it won't have the same impact. Okay? You share what God's saying to you. And it has to be of God. That Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. That right there is a sermon in itself. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. How many people did he appear to? 500 brothers at one time. We know it's at least 500. That was all at one time. And that's brothers, that's not even considering the sisters. And we know from the way Jesus is and the way we see later on, that the women were there at all times because Jesus called men and women. But their account is of the brothers. So we know at least 500, but it was more than 500 He appeared to. Right? Then He appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. So this is Paul telling you that all these other people saw Him resurrected from the dead. Yet afterwards, He even revealed Himself to Him and showed Himself to Him. So Paul's telling you that even though He was the worst of the worst at the time. I don't have to tell you guys, you're all church people. You already know how bad Paul was. And even to him, he revealed himself. He said, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. This is the guy who was persecuting Christians. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not me, but the grace of God that is with me. So... You had 500 people that saw them resurrected. You had, we're going to see in a minute, you had 120 that were there on a the day of Pentecost that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Three thousand were saved on that day. We'll see in a minute. Yet Paul's saying I did way more than all of them. So whenever people tell you the only way the Holy Spirit was moving in this way were for those who were there on a the day of Pentecost, Paul wasn't there today on a day of Pentecost. And he did far more than all of them. Right? We have to remember that. Whenever they try to twist stuff and say, Paul, or God's not wanting to do something, the Holy Spirit's not moving and he won't move in us, and these things, miracles don't happen today, Paul says the opposite. And he was gifted with the opportunity to write 13 books in the Bible, so I'm going to believe him over anybody We have left on our earth right now. I'm gonna take his word. He said, But the grace of God that is with me did it, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Therefore he preached what he seen. He shared. He did what he was called to do, and God did it through him, and people believed. What do we do during the week that people start believing? I don't know about you, but I ain't changed a whole lot of lives with beliefs lately. Some. I won't say there's none. There are some people I get to share with and I see their lives change, but not in the way he's talking about it. Now we're going to go back to Acts in in chapter 1 because I want to see the layout of what happened before the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came and baptized and and some miraculous stuff starts happening. I want us to see... What was different in apostles? Because if we remember beforehand, uh, which I want to share later, but I'll share it now. Um, before this, whenever Jesus died, he went to the cross. Peter denied him three times, right? And uh, the apostles scattered. They went in hiding. Peter went back to fishing. They didn't know what to do, they were in fear. They weren't persevering like Chad said. They weren't doing those very things that Paul talks to us about. Before the Holy Spirit, they looked just like everybody else in that time period. Yet, they were closer to Jesus than anybody. Peter, James, and John should have at that time, if just Jesus alone was going to do it, Peter, James, and John should have changed the world right then. They should have been immediately when Jesus died, there should have been 3,000 coming to the Lord if they could do it on their own should have happened because they were closest to him. John said, I'm the beloved. I'm the one he loved most, he thought. And I always liked it. I loved it when John wrote. If you ever read Scripture, you'll know John's the only one that refers to himself as the beloved, the, the one God loved, the one Jesus loved, because he believed that. I like that. I liked whenever Pastor Rod used to say, nobody's more loved by God than me. Because I believe the same thing. I don't think anybody, I don't think God takes care of people and loves them as much as he loves me. And I hope you think the same thing. That will get us to heaven. But it's going to take more to change our world. Okay? And that's what we have to understand because before, before Jesus went back to heaven and left them, they weren't worth a whole lot. They were empty vessels. Let me rephrase that. They weren't worth a lot here on earth to Jesus. They were still beloved and saved. His favorite people. But there had to be something that changed in them. has to be something that changes in us that we go from just being saved to changing the world. has to be something. Chad's been talking about this over and over and over. So it says, In the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do And teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostle he was, he had chosen. I like this that, uh, you can tell Luke's a writer. He was a doctor, but he was a writer because any writer, whenever they're talking, always refers to their books so they can sell them. So this is what he's doing. Like, you know, he truly wrote those books, otherwise he wouldn't have referenced it. Like, hey, just so you know, go read my last volume I wrote. And, you know, that's what He does. He makes sure you know, hey, go read that one and then come back and read this one. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. Same thing that Paul talked about. He was proving to people He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. What was that command? Don't leave Jerusalem. Sounds like a pretty easy command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gifts my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Father promised it. If the Father promised it, we know it will happen. When the Father says something will happen, it will happen if you wait upon it. The only way it doesn't happen is if you don't allow it to, right, when He promises it. Now, whenever He prophetically speaks something, it's just going to happen anyway because He said it will. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. Now how many of you know that whenever the Lord starts calling us to something, we start trying to figure out how it looks? We start trying to figure out what He really wants to do. And... Some who have a Martha spirit will try to make it happen. Right? And then other people who don't have a Martha spirit will just sit around and contemplate what it's going to look like. And they have this whole thing played out in their head. You have both sides. So sometimes we look at Martha as like, oh, they're trying to make something happen. And then we forget about the other ones who are just sitting over trying to figure out what God's going to do and limiting what He may be able to do. And that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes. And that's what they were trying not to do there. But he said, uh, wait. He said, in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, he- of Israel? We often think that like when Chad talks about revival, we often think like when revival comes, our whole nation will be changed. Sometimes we think when revival comes, uh, our government would be a change. Sometimes we think, like, this is what's going to save our nation. And you know what? It may be. We don't know what God's going to do in it. All we know is God said, go and wait for what I've called you to. Sometimes we're more worried about what's going to happen in this or what kind of gifts we're going to get in something or what may be poured out to us than we are what God wants to do. We can't be distracted by that. Right. Whenever the Toronto outpouring happened up in Toronto, uh the Arnets, whenever they were up there and they were praying for revival and they're praying for revival. And then one day, I think it was on a Wednesday, maybe a Sunday night, I don't remember, this great revival gets poured out. Stuff's just happening all over. And one of them looks at the other and they're like, you ever seen anything like this? And they're like, no. And they said, Uh, what do we do? Like, is it real? And they're like, I don't know. We better let it go because they had an idea of what revival might look like, but whenever it really came, they were in awe and they just had to sit there and soak it in. So I promise you what God wants to do here looks nothing like what we want God to do here. It looks bigger. It looks better. It may even look messy, as Chad said. But we have to be prepared, right? But we can't limit what He wants to do either. For all we know, we, he may pour out here, and 10,000 people end up in our parking lot, and we're sitting here thinking, like, what do we do now, right? And Chad just steps up like Peter and says, hey, I'm going to preach to you, right? And then we see them all saved. Or maybe it looks whole, a whole lot different, right? We don't know. We don't know what it looks like, but we can't sit there and have our own plan. But you will receive power from the Holy when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This goes back to what I was starting out with. Don't go out and, and just share things you hear. Go out and share the things you see. Go out and be witnesses of what God's speaking to you. Go out and talk. Whenever God's ta- sharing something in you or with you, that's what you share. I can't go out. How many people you've ever heard somebody say, my pastor said this this week. My pastor this weekend talked about this. And that's okay if it's actually something that you receive from the Lord, but if you're just trying to share what Chad's receiving from the Lord or or another person's receiving from the Lord, most people aren't going to receive that. They want to hear what you have, what God's doing with you. Your witness is more powerful than sharing the witness of somebody else. So much better. Right. If you're struggling with something, you can be like, oh, man, I've been so sick, but I've just had this peace of God over me. Right. And if I shared that, that would be more powerful than I was like, you know, I've been real sick. But my friend, he was healed and he's just so happy he was healed. That ain't much of a testimony. It's more of a testimony when I share the peace God given me. Right. It's not about somebody else. Now it's about my relationship with God. I get to share with them. It's very powerful. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently upon the sky and he was go- as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him and said, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This may be the dumbest question ever in Scripture. Because I don't know about you, but if I've seen Jesus Christ ascend into the sky, it's going to be really hard not to be looking into the sky. Right? But still these angels say, hey, why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. So these guys are saying, hey, don't be distracted by him being ascended. Focus on the fact he's coming back. Don't live in the, in the rapture of Jesus Christ. Live in the fact that you're going to be joining that. Live that he will be coming back. It'd be really hard for them to, to go out and share witness to something if they thought all it was is Jesus going to heaven. But then these guys are like, no, remember, there's more than that. There's more. We're going with him. Right? It's not just Jesus being resurrected, it's what, it's us. I'm going to heaven. If I fall over right now of a heart attack and die, I'm going to heaven. You can hold that as my witness. Right? That to me is just as important as Jesus going to heaven because if I focus only on Jesus going to heaven, I, I won't remember I am. It's really easy to fall. Further in that scripture, in verse 12, it goes down and it says, uh, Then the apostles were retur- returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. The Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those presents were, present were Paul. John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, who has the most the worst name of all of them to be called Judas. The same as Judas Iscariot, but he was there, you know there was a second Judas, he was a great guy probably. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Now, something while we were in the middle of worship that the Lord was showing me that I want to share with you, this is a little bit of extra credit you get here, something free. Peter stands up and talks, Right? He's the one out of the apostles that gets up and talk. The reason why he was wanting to get up and talk is because the Holy Spirit, God, told him to get up and talk. Right? He was the leader. God said, "Hey, this is what you do." He had a gift to do that. Anybody know what Bartholomew was doing in that moment? What was Judas's gift? What about Simon the Zealot? James, son of Alphaeus. We know the other James, what he was doing, but what about James, son of Alphaeus, right? All we know about Thomas is doubting Thomas. We know that whenever Jesus comes back, He's like, until I see the holes, I put my hand in them, I ain't doing nothing. I don't believe nothing. Which I think is uh, something we need to remember. But our worship team come in yesterday and they start practicing, right? And, And they're like, trying to figure out how, how you make a bass, a keyboard, and a drum sound like worship. So they're all trying different instruments, not their normal instrument. And they're trying to figure it out. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to worship with this eclectic thing that you're, they're trying to put together. But in the end, if you notice, Josh ends up back on bass. Elise ends up back on the keyboard. And Ryan's playing a cajon, which is a drum. Or not a cajon, a djembe. So he's playing a djembe, and they're all, end up right back to what their gifting is. Instead of trying to use something that's not natural to them. And I don't know about you, that was pretty awesome worship. With instruments that usually don't just lead worship. Because they use the gifts God gave them. If everybody was trying to stand up when Peter stood up, we would have had a mess. They would probably would have ended up arguing more than witnessing, but they didn't. So I want you to remember the fact that there was 120, even though Peter or Paul earlier said that over 500 seen him when he was raised from the dead but on the day of Pentecost, only 120 were there waiting. That means 380 were somewhere else when the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's a big number. I forget what that is. I think it's like 24% or something. I don't remember the math of it all that were waiting And I don't know what happened to the other ones. Maybe they weren't there when Jesus said wait. Maybe they had jobs they had to go to. Maybe they were sick. Maybe whatever. I don't know where they were at, but I just wanted you to remember that over 500 saw him. And only 120 were there whenever he ascended. If I seen Jesus Christ raised from the dead, I would like to say I would have been there whenever he ascended. But I can't be positive I would. I can't be positive I would and I wanna, that's what I'm worried about with us. That we may not be where God wants us to be at the moment He wants us to be where we're supposed to be. I'm gonna say that again, we may not be where we're supposed to be at the moment God wants us to be where we're supposed to be. That is important. Chad talked about, uh, Evan Roberts from the Welsh revival, uh, in the early 1900s. Evan Roberts was 12 years old when God showed him there'd be a revival in Wells. 12 years old. He had that kind of faith to believe there would be a revival. At 12 years old, I I never even thought anything of it, right? I was wanting to play basketball or or fight with my brother or do a 100,000 other things, but never once did revival even hit my mind. But at 12 years old, God said there's going to be a revival, and he begins praying all the time, right? And about a year or two before revival breaks out, he decides, I'm going to be wherever God's moving when God is moving. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be no matter how much I want to do something else. And he would be, he would draw, or well, he'd be in his horse and carriage going towards the church and he would see these ships out. He loved going out on boats. He loved being on the water. And every time he passed them, he would say, I'm not going to do that because that'll take me from being where I need to be. And sometimes we do that. We allow stuff to get us away from where we need to be, and we call it life, and we call it whatever. And it's not—it's not wrong necessarily. But I know if there's more that God wants for me, I want to be where that's going to be. Right? I don't know about the other 380, but I can only imagine when tongues of fire are poured out on 120 guys, and there are people because it says women were there also. But when 120 people receive the Holy Spirit the very first time, I know if I wasn't there, my thought process would be, wow, I missed out. Wow, I should have been there. Wow, I, I, I knew that Jesus ascended. I knew He was here. I knew there had to be more, yet I needed to go take care of my goats yet I needed to go do this, I needed to go do that. Like I said, if God's calling us to do those other things, He gives us all jobs. We have to work, we have to take care of things. But whenever He says, hey, I want you to be here, you need to be there, right? The the biggest thing they say in churches for, for Christian people is what they call FOMO, the fear of missing out. We will not commit to anything because we're afraid if we commit to something in the church, something better may happen and we miss it. So we, we won't be committed to what's going on. So if the Lord's like, hey, uh, I want you to be in a prayer group every Tuesday, or maybe I want you to be there on Thursday, or maybe I want you to talk to Pastor Chad, see if you can open the church up on Friday so you can go in and pray. And yet you're like, you know what though? That's the day we play baseball, or that's the day this happens, or that's the day that happens, or I can't commit to, to doing that every week because what if, what if my favorite show's on? Right, We have all kinds of reasons why we we won't commit to something. What we need to figure out is the reasons why we would commit to something. Evan Roberts committed to seeing revival. And he devoted his life to following God wherever that would be. When we went to the revival down, down in uh, the Red River, or what they called the revival in the Red River, Chad and I, Chad was on the way down there and he said, I just want to make sure we go wherever the Spirit of the Lord is moving. I want to make sure we don't miss it. Guess what? That makes sense to me. That makes a whole lot of sense to me because if God's moving and God's there, I want to be there. 120 were there. 380 were not. Like I said, that number was actually higher than 500. That's just how many at one time saw Him. At one time. Somehow they did, they missed out. Eh, I'm just tired, I can't go today. Eh, you know, I got this going on. You know, a lot of times, Evan Roberts being one of them, people have to change jobs so they can be where God calls them to be. Sometimes people have to, to make tough decisions of, no, I'm not going to be involved in this because I need to be where God's calling me to be. And we, we have to be sensitive to that. And I'm not telling you to quit your job. Don't go out and quit your job. We have enough people who quit their job sitting at home. Don't do that. But make sure you're in prayer asking God where He wants you to be. On the day of Pentecost, all these guys were in prayer together. 120 people praying together for what God was about to do in them. 120. If 20 people got together and prayed for what God was about to do in them, something amazing would happen. But we got to be those people. I feel like God wants to do not only the same as what He did at Pentecost, but better here. I feel like there's going to be something bigger. I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea, but I know Paul did more than the rest did, and he wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. So whenever it, I don't think it's sacrilegious that I say he wants to do more. I say he, he's always wanting to do more. And if we would pursue more, he can do more. But we often limit ourselves on what we want God to do. There, there's a quote, and I can't remember, I think it was Mark Batterson said it, it was a, a, a plan of man can be accomplished by man, but a God plan can only be accomplished by God. And we usually have man, man plans. We have plans that we know we can accomplish. And we don't want to get outside of that because we're afraid if it doesn't happen, that maybe God ain't real maybe. I don't know why we don't do it, but we're, we're afraid to allow God to make things bigger. We're afraid to have bigger goals. And we can't do that. And it comes down to doubt. It comes down to what we truly believe. At least for me, I know it does, so I want to address this, and uh I want you to remember that I told you that God shared this with me before I ever shared it here. He was convicting me of a lot of stuff, so we're going to go to Matthew thirteen and uh good thing is worship got done early, so I can take as long as I want. Kind of jealous of that, ain't you, Chad? So Matthew 13, verse 53, said when Jesus had finished these parables, now mind you, he had just been uh, sharing a long list of parables for a few chapters, and there's other stuff in them. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Now, this Scripture is something Lord was speaking to me, and then on Tuesday night, Rita Yoon back there got this same Scripture while we were in prayer, and I knew, yep, this is it. Right? They were amazed. I like that. It said, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Sometimes when God teaches us, we get amazed, right? We get amazed. And he said... Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So they knew he had miraculous powers. They're watching it. They're like, how did this happen? We know this, dude. What's going on here? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where de- then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They were mad. They were mad because he was doing things that they didn't understand he was doing. They were mad because they knew everybody around him, right? They knew his family. They're like, hey, what's going on here? This is stupid, right? They were mad. And I'm going to tell you, churches do this. We know Jesus. A lot of us grew up with Jesus. A lot of us have been with Jesus for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years. Either way, we know who Jesus is. And sometimes when we see Jesus start to do something, we don't like that He's either changing something, we don't like that maybe somebody that we didn't expect Him to use is being used and we're not. We don't even like whenever we see maybe a movement at another church, we get offended. We're like, what's going on here? That can't be real. That ain't us. That's what's going on. I know Jesus. He wouldn't do that. He can't do that. And we actually get offended as a church when things aren't happening the way we want them to happen. It is hard for Jesus to move in churches often because we limit what we allow Him to do. We limit it. How weird would it be if Chad comes up here one Sunday and we're about to start a service and he says, God tells me You know, you guys can go home. I'm going to go minister over in the park. That's just what God's showing me. And then he goes over and he ministers in the park and 20 people are saved. And you guys are like, how dare him shut down church? We'd be, you know, we would think like, how would God work like that? We'd be mad. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. They're looking at what Jesus is doing and they're offended because it's not the way they thought it should be. And he wasn't who they thought he should be. We know this guy. He can't do that. Which none of us ever see, say Jesus can't do that, right? None of us ever doubt what Jesus can do. None of us ever do that. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. We call this the house of the Lord. Are we honoring God in his own home? Are we honoring him? And I want you to think, are you honoring him in your own home? Does He get to do what He needs to do in your own home? When He says, hey, I want you to change some stuff up. I want you guys to have prayer time in your own home. Do you honor that or do you say, ah, that's going to be too weird for me? That's not the way we do it. This ain't what we have. Do we allow Jesus to do stuff in our own lives? If we want to see changes, as Chad said last week, it starts in your house then around with your friends and then within your church and then within your community as uh, Tony Evans says. And it goes and it goes and it goes. But it has to start with one place, with you. And Jesus has to have honor in that. When we're called to do something, we have to say, yes, Jesus. We can't be offended and we can't hide from it. And He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And, and sometimes this is a Pentecostal problem. In churches with Pentecost, we think, well, no, we've seen people healed. We've seen God do miracles. You know what we're not seeing? We're not seeing a lot of miracles. We're not seeing God do all kinds of things. We're not seeing tons of people change. We're not seeing lives change. We're not seeing transformation. Because in his own home, he was able to do a little bit of miracles. He can do a few miracles. But sometimes we don't allow him to do more. And he wants to do more. I don't know about you but I want that more. I want God to just come in and just wreck this place. Do whatever he wants to do in here and then me just sit back and be like, Whoo, Jesus is real. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Do what you need to do. I'm all in." But we're not seeing it. Because he doesn't always have honor in his own in his hometown, in his house, in speak his, with his people who know him. That's scary. Now, mind you, this doesn't have anything to do with salvation. This has everything to do with what Jesus can do in our lives. We have to be willing to let Him work. We have to be willing to let Him do miracles. I mean, I love when I see Him do just a few miracles. You know, we're sharing on Tuesday night, we're sharing miracles we've seen and just the, the joy of that, right? And we need to do that. We need to remember the miracles He did. But then we need to long for more. We need to let Him do everything He needs to do. I don't want Jesus here just so He can do miracles. But I want to honor Jesus here so He can do miracles. Right? I want to allow Him to do them. So if we go to Matthew 12, I want you to understand the family thing. Says, while Jesus was still, this is verse 46, talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who is my brother? Pointing to his disciples, he said, these are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. The ones who do the will. Of my father. Those who follow, who, who do what he's telling you to do. And this is the will of my father, not just obeying commandments, but doing everything he calls them to do. Right? He was calling the apostles this before they even had the Holy Spirit. These are the ones that are doing my will. I can pour my spirit upon the ones who are doing my will. And you may think, like, why? What, what was the, the disconnect between his, his family? Why would he say this about his family? You know, you hear people preach it and they're like, oh, you know, he just wanted to make sure it's inclusive and, and you know that it's not just his family. No, his family was going crazy at the moment. His family was attacking him. Cause in, in the same scripture that's in Mark, in Mark, Mark 3, verse 20, it says, then Jesus entered a house and began, and again a crowd gathered so that, he and his disciples were not able to eat. So they were sacrificing and serving to the point so much that they didn't even care if they ate. Some of us would have to stop and say, nah, we got to run to Denny's, we'll be back later because we're not willing to sacrifice for what God wants to do. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. So this is why his family was there actually was to take charge of him so they can make sure He was doing everything the way they wanted Him to do it. So their rituals, so their their traditions would be normal, so they, they had an idea of the way things should look and they were going to take charge of Jesus because He wasn't doing what they thought He should be doing. And we do that. I do that. When things don't look the way I think they should, I start saying, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to do this. And Jesus says, hey, you're not doing the will of My Father, therefore you're not... My brother, sister, mother, because we're not letting the will of the Father be done. He's Jesus. If he would have wanted food, he would have just said, hey, dog, spit out some food, you know? He got tax money from a fish that Peter caught. Right? Like, he can do what he wanted to do, yet they were trying to limit what he could do. And the will of the Father, they were trying to control it. And we keep trying to control things over and over So the last scripture I'm going to go to is Mark 9 verse 14 And this is the one that hit me This one hit me hard This is the one God showed me first And then uh it says when they came to the other disciples they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. Man. I like that. That's that's a chance that wherever Jesus is, we're going to run to Him. Right? We're going to go there. I want to be those people. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by the Spirit that has robbed him his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. If that was happening here, could we drive out the spirit? Could we do it? We may come around Him and pray and all that and lay hands on Him and be like, be gone. And it may happen and it may not. We don't know, right? You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to Me there was a lack of belief amongst His closest followers. There may be a lack of belief amongst Jesus' closest followers right now. There's very possibility that there is. At least with this one. Because He told me. He wants to do stuff and we won't always believe He can do it. No, let me rephrase that. We won't always believe He will do it. We know he can, but we won't always believe he will. So they brought the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. That's some fear right there. He's like, Uh-oh. uh oh, I'm in trouble. Right? I want that. I want when I walk into a place, a, a spirit just goes in convulsions. Spirit of God's in this man, and I want him to be fearful, right? He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked the boy's father, I like that, like all calm, like nothing's going on. You know, here's this boy rolling around, spirit possessed demon possessed, and and he's like, Hey, how long has this been going on? Right? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Sometimes we ask if Jesus can do stuff. Can He do that? Can that really happen? And that's where this guy is at. If you can, Jesus said, and I want you to remember, he, He's talking to what He believes is an a unbelieving generation. So you kind of get this thought process that he's like, you guys just don't get it. Right? He says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. I want you guys to repeat that. Everything is possible for the one that believes. What if we believe that? Everything is possible for the one who believes. You remember Jesus Christ himself said those words. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Peter. Wasn't James. What an Old Testament prophet. Jesus Christ said all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. Guess what? Jesus cannot lie. What Jesus says happens. It's impossible for it not to. He cannot lie. So when Jesus said he would die and be raised in three days, you knew it was going to happen because Jesus said it would happen. So if all things are possible for those who believe, that means all things are possible for those who believe. Not some things. Not the easy things, not the small things, not the things we can accomplish on our own, but all things are possible for those who believe. That is very powerful. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. That's what a lot of us do. Immediately say, oh, I believe. I believe. I believe God's going to heal. I believe God's going to do this. I believe this. I believe. And then this guy had to follow it up because he realized, wait a minute, maybe I don't. If I believed, something would have already happened probably. He said, help me under overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Some of us are facing things all the time. Uh, addictions, uh, doubts, fears, uh, laziness, uh, sicknesses, diseases. And we know God can do something. We know He can, but we don't believe He will. That's our problem. We know God has the ability and the power to do something, but we don't ever have the faith usually that He will. And we're stuck there. We're stuck with this thing of, I know he can, but I don't think he is. I just don't know. And we have doubt that he can do something. Guess what? Doubt ain't a problem. Doubt's not the problem. The lying to yourself that you believe is the problem. This man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I'm going to tell you why this is important to me, because whenever Mike was in the hospital, this scripture came to me. Mike's going into surgery, everything's going on, and God shows the scripture to me, and I share it with Kim, because I'm thinking this is for Kim, because I know I believe in healing. I know God can heal Mike if He wants to heal Mike. Right? And that's exactly how I word things usually. I know He can if He wants to. I didn't pray, I know you will heal Mike. So I share that with her. And then a few weeks later, a couple weeks later, I'm I'm praying and I'm sitting in this prayer room. And I'm just sitting there alone and I'm praying and I'm just like, Lord, I want you to just heal Mike. Lord, I know you can heal Mike. And he said, you don't get it. You just don't get it. I'm thinking like, I'm here praying and I believe you can do it. And he took me back to the scripture and I had to reread that. Right, It's not just that God can for those who believe, it's those who believe He will. This man said, I believe you can, but help me where I don't believe. He had to admit that he had doubted it. Right, I had to admit to myself that I doubted God was going to heal Mike. I believed he could, and I was going to rejoice for when he did. But I wasn't walking into it with a thought process of God's going to do this. I thought, hey, there's a possibility. I didn't live as if I believed it though. I didn't live as I believed it. My friend Pat Davis, who spoke here a little over about a year and a half ago, who had cancer. When God told him that he was going to be healed from cancer, people would come up to him and he was like, he, he's trying to live his life positively and he's trying to do but then when people would come up and say hey this September you know we're taking a trip here he would say uh let's wait and see how this cancer thing goes God told him he'd be healed he believed he could be healed but he was living as if he wasn't healed he wasn't living it out and God hit him he said hey if you truly believe act like you believe live like you believe so he did Somebody would come to him and be like, hey, how's cancer going? He goes, oh, great, man, I'm going to be healed. And they'd be like, hey, what about, uh, you know, this time period, we're wanting to do this. Again? He goes, I'm in, baby, I'll be healed by then. And he just started living it. And he believed it. He wasn't lying to himself. He needed God to put that belief inside of him. So whenever I started praying, God helped my unbelief. I realized it wasn't because of Mike only, because I really did, after a while, I started knowing God's going to heal Mike. I knew it. I knew that I knew that Mike was going to be healed. But then I had so many other doubts that I wouldn't admit to myself. Right? Revival. I know God can do revival and one day it may come, but I didn't believe that it was going to happen. Right? I had to believe. I had to actually believe and then I would say, God, help me where I don't believe. Help me in my doubt. And I pray that every single day now. Lord, I believe You want to do something big today, but help me where I don't believe it. Help me where I'm stopping it. I need you to do it because I can't do it on my own. Thomas. I talked about doubting Thomas and how that's what we call him, doubting Thomas. You know what's so great about Thomas? He was the only one who would admit that he was doubting. Even though the rest were hiding, they didn't think he, you know, they thought that they thought it was over. He wasn't the only one doubting. He was the only one who would admit he was doubting. And sometimes we just have to admit that we doubt. We gotta be honest with ourselves. Ah, I just, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know that God can use me. I don't even know if I have a gift. I don't know what God can do. I don't know this until I see Him actually do something. I can't do it. I don't know. But most of us won't admit it. We want to say like, oh yeah, I know, I know. And, you know, He's used a lot of people, but we don't actually believe it could happen. And we have to pray about that. We have to get to a place where admitting our doubts. It's not wrong to doubt. It's wrong to lie about your doubt. We all doubted at one time and whenever we admitted, Lord, I just want you to be real in my life and we admitted that we needed Him and we admitted that without Him we're nothing and we start realizing this, our lives start changing because we admitted we had a problem. But when we're saved, we don't want to admit there's a problem. We want to be like the family and we want to say, well, this ain't looking the way it should. And we have this whole thought process of how things should look and and we walk around in doubts that we don't want to admit. But when we admit our doubts, God can move. When we admit that we don't have enough belief, God can add belief to us. He can step in. I've loved over the last few months to see this belief in Chad just well up in him. And he's been here honest with us that... You know that he was struggling with things. and Now God is just showing him, and he's seeing things, and he has this great belief now that God's going to do it. And then he's praying, God, just help me. The other day, I, whenever we talked about, I, I I don't remember what we talked about actually, but I called him. I was like, "You all right, man?" He was in the prayer room, and he said, "Hey, I just want to make sure my heart is on fire for what God has. I want to make sure I'm where He needs me to be." You know, and he he was in there praying for that passion for the Lord that he wants to make sure he's keeping. But do we do that? Do we all do that? Do we pray that God does more in us? Do we pray that, Lord, where I'm lacking, You step up? Lord, help me be hungry for You. Lord, help me where I'm doubting You can do something. Lord, just You take over because I need You. Do we actually yearn for that? Do we have that passion? We need that. We really, really need that. And at least you can... Uh, Actually, I'm going to close this part or share the rest of this. It said, uh the spirit shriek, uh, shriek convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. I'd rather be dead and without a demon than alive with a demon, so I I, I wouldn't have been too scared in that. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately." Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind come out only by prayer. The reason why we're not seeing a lot of things is we're not in prayer for it. The reason why we have doubts is we're not praying about them. The reason why we're not hungry is because we're not praying about it. We have to change the way we do stuff. We have to look different. At least you can come on up. It. Uh, we have to be different. We have to stop doing things the way we've always done them. And we have to trust God can do something. We gotta trust Jesus, right? And I'm gonna share an excerpt from, uh, a book called Rethinking the Church by James Emery White. I know nothing about the book, never read the book, but the excerpt is perfect for where we're at and it's called Rethinking Church and I think we need to do that. I do know the guy himself, James Emery White. I don't know any, I don't know him personally. But I know in the 90s, he had a church. He started a church, or maybe late 80s, of just himself, his family. It was a church for his family. And then within no time at all, it was one of the fastest growing churches ever. He had 10,000 members because he was rethinking the way he was doing things. I don't know, from one family to 10,000 people is a big jump. We've seen that in Pentecost. 120 sitting there 3000 immediately saved. Then we see 5000 and we see thousands upon thousands saved giving their lives to Christ and because something changed. And we need to change. Something has to change. And in this I'm going to read a little bit of and I'm also going to phrase but 1968 The greatest watches were made where anybody know? Switzerland 1968 they had the greatest mechanisms like the movement. Even now the, the they make the most intricate watches. They're beautiful. They're amazing, right? And they they had uh at that period of time nobody ever thought that could change that the watches would ever, you know, like Switzerland was always going to be the watch place. They were the ones. They knew what they were doing. They had the best uh craftsmen. They were they just had it. And I've seen some of those Swiss watches where the, the gears just move multiple gears and all this and they're perfect. They're beautiful, right? They had the market cornered for 60 years at the time. And they were always refining that, that technique they had. They were always refining the moving gears and they were always trying to get better and better and better at what they were doing. They were perfecting their craft right in 1968 they made 65% of all watches in the world but they had 90% of the money in the watch market in Switzerland because that's how good their stuff was people would pay for it because it was quality 90% of the watches in 1968 90% of the money was there 65% of watches were made there But something happens by 1980, which is just 12 years later. They laid off thousands of watchmakers. And it says, and they controlled less than 10% of the world's market. 10%. From 90% of the money to 10% of the money. No. 65% of production to 10% of production. 90% of uh, the money to 20% of the money of their profit. Between 79 and 81... Fifty thousand of the sixty-two thousand uh, Swiss watchmakers lost their jobs. It's a huge percentage. You went from sixty-two to twelve thousand people making watches there. The reason why there was a new development called the quartz movement. Simple, easy, cheaper to produce. Right. They wouldn't even consider it because they had this great movement within their watches that was so beautiful and intricate, and they spent years and years and years defining it. It was masterful. Beautiful. If you look at them today, they still make them because now it's more of a nostalgic thing. People are like, oh, I want a Swiss watch. Right? The funny thing about that, they would not accept the movement of the quartz. But it was actually invented by somebody in Switzerland, and nobody would receive it. Nobody would receive that because it had no string for springs, no no main springs or knobs. They thought it was it was trash. It's not a good product. Said it was too much of a paradigm shift for them to embrace. Too much of a change. We can't embrace that much change. Seiko, on the other hand, accepted it, and along with a few other companies, became the leader in the watch industry. They took over because they were willing to accept that, hey, there's something different here, right? So sometimes we have something that works really well, and we keep trying to define it, keep trying to do something better we are like making it better and we're like God this is what we've always done this is how we do things God will just use it and then sometimes God says hey I want something different or something better and we, we sometimes look at that and we're like Ah, that's not what we do it's not what we do it's not how I've always done it I don't know that's weird How could that work? There's not even, you know, as Chad always says, there's not a couple fast songs and a few slow songs and the offering. How could that work? It's not the way we normally do it. How could that work? I still got to work. I got to do this. I have to do that. How could that ever work? And we miss it because we won't allow God to change things. We won't allow something better possibly to come in. But we have to. I know for me, I want God to help my unbelief. I believe wholeheartedly always that God can do miracles. I believe wholeheartedly God can do anything He puts His mind to. But I don't always believe He will. Right? I don't always believe God's going to change the world. I don't always believe our nation can be saved. I know it can be. I don't know what it always will be. What if I change my prayer of God I believe you want to do something? Help me where I don't believe. Help me where I don't believe. What if I changed myself instead of trying to change everything else? What if I change my prayer for me to have the faith so God can do miracles so Jesus can do miracles in his in his house? What if I have the faith? And Jared, you can take the lights down. And, uh, hey Jared you want to take the lights down buddy he's so focused on the online stuff I like it so I'm going to uh, pray for us here in a minute and I'm going to open up this altar and if you need prayer uh, we'll be here to pray and I'm not going to come back up and close you can dismiss yourself how you want to dismiss yourself or when you need to because I know last week a lot of people wanted to keep praying. So if you if you need that time of prayer, you stay here and you pray. And uh, we'll put more music on when Elise is tired of playing the keyboard. But don't just rush out of here. And if you need prayer, if you have the same problems I've been struggling with and still struggle with, of allowing God to do what He needs to do and believing God can do what He wants to do, uh, I want to pray for you. All things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. And so, Father God, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that we're saved. We thank you that, we thank you that we do get to be a part of your family and we're, we are your home, Lord. And you, you've done so much, God, that even whenever we doubt, Lord, you're still doing miracles, maybe not as many as you want, Lord, but you're doing them. You're here. We'd see you move after move after move, Lord, even in this house where we're at, God. But I pray that if our doubts are holding you back, Lord, that you would help us to believe. I pray that our faith would be grown in what you're doing, Lord. I pray that we'd be we would be just as Pastor Chad, Lord, that we'd be here praying, God, that, that you would help us in that, God, that you would help give us passion for you, Lord, that our hearts would be longing for you, Lord, that we'd be hungry for you, Lord. Lord, where we struggle, Lord, for change, where we don't think, when we don't think you can transform us, Lord, I pray you'd give us the faith, believe you will. Lord, I pray that you would uh you would show us where we're struggling, God, so we can pray and give that to you and ask you to help us in it, Lord. Where we have doubts, Lord, I pray you would illuminate them. Lord, I pray you would completely change us, Lord. Let us not walk through life lying to ourselves that we believe when we don't. We need You to perform miracles here, Lord. We need You to come in and show off here, Lord. Let us get out of Your way. Start with us, Lord. Change us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.